The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Miracle of Healing, where we come together every week to discuss and discover a roadmap to healing. I'm your host, Lisa Campion, and I hope you can join us since the world needs all the healing it can get. And we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. Hey there, I'm Lisa Campion and welcome to the show. This is the miracle of healing. And if you're new to the show, just want to give you a big warm welcome. If you've been following along for a while, so glad you're still here. Welcome back. We have a beautiful show tonight with somebody who's been on my um, podcast quite a few times. She just writes the coolest books ever, and um, I really, really enjoy her work so much. So we, today we have Dina Merriam, and she her latest book is called To Dance with Zucchinis in Search of Self. Um, this story is so fascinating. It really be, it begins at a time period of history that I really know nothing about, 12th century Tibet, with a woman's search for the goddess in the deeper truths of life. And we really get a catch a glimpse of ordinary life during this time, fascinating time in, in place and in history. Um, we meet the great mother and through her, the daikinis, the adepts, the gurus and the loving souls who help guide this beautiful soul who is in fact Dina um, through her life, um, through this particular lifetime that she's lived. So um, thank you so much for being back on the show, Dina, and for writing another amazing book. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I love to share my experiences because with each book I write, I go through a very profound experience. Yeah. And so it's always, um, I always welcome the opportunity to share that. Yeah, they really are so powerful. And I every time you write a new book, I I mean, I get the copies, the PDF files before we do the show, but I always buy them. I go to Amazon and I buy them because I like to have them. I've read all of your books and I, I got so excited. I just got a big smile on my face when I saw you on my calendar again. I'm like, oh, yay, another book. I can read it, taking them on vacation and read them on the beach when I was there. They're so beautiful. And you have this unique way of writing of your own past life history, Right what you've learned and especially now having read quite there's quite a few of them having read this one sort of seeing the whole arc of your whole incarnational cycle not all of it but these big significant pieces of it is so profound because to me it just brought to my mind how we learn how long it takes us to learn things that it kind of experiences that we have to go through as souls that are evolving to really catch this deeper spiritual knowledge it's it's really beautiful 
I, I think what, what you said was <laughs> so true, how we learn and how long it takes us to learn. When you think of the span of thousands of lives, thousands of years, and how, uh, although that's just from the human perspective, if you look from another perspective, thousands of years could be the blink of an eye. And so it's really no time at all. But from our limited uh, viewpoint, it seems a very slow process of awakening. But I come in and out of, of how I look at time. And uh, when I go back thousands of years, it just seems to me like it's the present moment. And when I'm writing, I'm in the pre- it is the present moment for me. I'm actually reliving those experiences. So the whole issue of time sort of collapses when, when I go back into the past. Yeah, it's super interesting because it's such a detailed, like, like a detailed sort of slice of life kind of experience of, you know, life, what it's like for this, for this young girl in 12th century Tibet, which is not something that I really know anything about historically. What is it like for you? Do you start having memories? Do you have visions? Like, how does this information come to you? There's always a spark that, that lights the fire, so to speak. It's either a person or an event or going to a place. It's most, it's most often for me been a person, someone coming into my life. And in this instance, it was my grandson mm-hmm. who, uh, since a very young age, was talking extensively about Tibet. And uh, I have been surrounded by Westerners who practice Tibetan Buddhism, my assistant, other people working for the Global Peace Initiative. And so I was very comfortable, but I didn't see my own history with Tibet until um, this this grandson sort of began to awaken my own memories. And I also didn't know a lot about that time period in Tibet. Yeah. But usually when I go to a time period, I did this when the bright moon rises, I sort of dove into China in the 8th century. And when I wrote the untold story of Sita, I went into the Treta Yuga to mm-hmm. see what the consciousness was like at that time. Right. And so, you know, I isolate myself. I do a lot of meditation and a lot of the um, the, the things that I see in here come to me in meditation. And then I see like a whole weaving, a puzzle coming together. It's like you put one piece down and it's like, oh, now I see what that part of the puzzle is. But it's an ongoing puzzle. It keeps expanding, expanding. To me, the fascination has always been understanding this law of cause and effect. Mm. Because you can understand your life much better if you know that everything, all the conditions were conditions that had their cause in the past. And therefore, if you don't work through them now, they'll help shape your future. Mm. It's interesting because my my focus now has shifted from the past to the future. And I've just started a book called Memories of a Future Life, hmm. which project myself 200 years into the future, wow. uh, which is a, has been... A, actually a more complicated process, but an interesting one, because we do, we create our future. I mean, there's nobody creating it for us. We are, we are the creators. And if you can understand how your past has created the conditions for your present, then you can better create the future you want. I feel like there there's some really empowering, for me, like really empowering messages in there, because I think a lot of us feel sort of vic- at the mercy of our circumstances or we feel victimized by what's going on or somehow God is punishing us by making us suffering the way that we do. And then it's so clear to me reading your work and in remembering my own past lives 
um, that that's not true. Like what you said, it's like we we sort of got ourselves into the situations that we're in, and that means we can also get ourselves out. I think there's a mistaken concept of of karma that it's a system of reward and punishment, right? Because in the Abrahamic tradition, there is this concept of reward and punishment that you'll be mm-hmm. rewarded for your good deeds and punished for your harmful deeds. But that has nothing to do with karma. Karma is simply, it's a neutral system of of energy. Whatever energy is put out, actions create an energy, thoughts create an energy, and there's there's an effect, just like gravity. I look at it just like the law of gravity, just like there are physical laws of physics. There there are spiritual laws, and and just like if you throw something up, it it comes down, and and never does it not come down. (laughs) The law of karma is really a process of learning, you know, it's like if you knock your head against the wall and it hurts, you might knock your head against the wall a second time or a third time. But eventually you're going to connect the hurt with the knocking your head against the wall and you're going to stop doing it. And it's the same thing. When we see certain actions create suffering for ourselves and others, eventually we change those forms of be- patterns of behavior. It's about learning to avoid patterns of thinking and behavior that cause harm to ourselves and to others. Mm. And to and to learn, to refash, refashion our brain, to learn behavioral patterns that create beneficial results. Right. And it's a slow process of learning. Yeah, I think we just learn, we learn through having those, exp- through having experiences. It's like having theories or having ideas is, is fine, but I think we don't really take it in as humans until we experience it for ourselves. And I think that's true for me too, for sure. And it's so interesting in this latest book too, your take on um, the the spiritual evolution of Tibet, that Tibet was really a quite advanced society, um, way more than we give credit for. And that kind of the time frame you're writing in, it's making that turn to away from materialism and more into this deeper spiritual. And you talk a lot about the old indigenous religion and how Buddhism came in and changed things there. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about your glimpse into that old ancient Tibet? Well, w- one of the big surprises to me, because I knew nothing about the bone tradition, it was it was to find that I was a follower of the indigenous tradition, which is called bone. It's a tradition, and actually Tibetan Buddhism could rightly be called bone Buddhism, because uh, Buddhism integrated a lot of the elements of bone um, which the the elements of bone, I mean, they, they, they see spirits all around. So there's spirits in the water, spirits in the air, spirits in the, in the soil. The world is filled with spirits. And then there's certain ways to harm, live in harmony with the spirits. You recognize them, you acknowledge them, you give gratitude to them. And I think all of the ancient traditions were that way because for them, the world was alive. Yeah. It, there was no such thing as dead matter. There was energy that had taken the form of matter, but it was basically energy, consciousness. And so the bone tradition also um, was filled with goddesses. The, in India, the rivers are considered to be the goddesses, the mountains the, are the, 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 um, the, the, the male deities. It was the same in, in ancient Tibet. The, the lakes, they, it was more the lakes than the rivers because when the glaciers melted, all these magical lakes were formed in Tibet. I didn't know that. But now I think of Tibet as the lake country. Mm-hmm. And um, there were goddesses who lived in the lakes. And the mountains, of course, were the male deities. So I, I learned a lot. 
and I saw my resistance. Um, and I think that I've had multiple lifetimes of, of clinging to that old way of being because in the life in Tibet, I recover of the previous life, life just previous to that, which was in medieval France, where there was the conflict between the Druids and Christianity coming in. Mm-hmm. And I found myself as a Christian, being born as a Christian, but gravitating toward the Druid, identifying more with the, with the Druids who, you know, worshipped in the uh, in the forest, the forest with their temples. And so I think that, I think many of us, especially those of us who feel so pained by the environmental crisis of today and who feel that we've lost something so precious, we've lost our relationship mm. with the with the elements of nature. I think it's because we, we feel it so keenly because we have lived those lives where we were very close to the spirits of nature. And there was a, uh, an honoring, a mutuality that we've lost in our modern culture. There's a lot of um, goddess energy in these, in all of your books, really, but in this book in particular. So can you talk a little bit about the Daikinis, what the Daikinis really are, and um, how, or how you experience that? So the goddess has been a theme with me for a long time. Uh, and since I was young, since I was about 20, and I, I was born into the Jewish tradition, but I found my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, when I was about 20. And one of the things that appealed to me was he spoke about the Divine Mother. And I was used to coming from a tradition of a sort of like a punishing father. And here I, he was speaking about this Divine Mother. So it's interesting because in the book, <clears throat> the search for the goddess goes on. It is the search for the gentle, the beautiful goddess. But the one who comes is not the beautiful, gentle goddess. She's the warrior goddess, the fierce goddess, because she's the one I was burdened, burdened by karma from the past with a son I had abandoned who had come to take his revenge and who caused me to fall into the pits. And once I recovered those memories, I was able to heal the relationship with him. But it was the fierce goddess who helped break those links and so it's the first time I have a memory, I mean, and a new understanding. You know, in every tradition, there's Kali, there's Durga, the mm-hmm. Tibetan tradition, Padmalamo. There, there, in the Eastern traditions, there is that notion of the fierce goddess right. who comes to free you. And um, so, so I was able to explore that. And um, I just wrote something, an essay for a magazine about our current situation in the world. It's like the fierce goddess is dancing across the world and fires are erupting everywhere, but they're fires of our own making. And she's coming to try to free us from these beliefs and systems that don't allow us to move forward, that are holding us back. So the fierce goddess has a role for us individually. Anything you want to free yourself from. (laughs) A karmic, you know, a, a burdensome relationship, you know, a a pattern of thinking that you want to get rid of, anything, it's the fierce goddess that can do that. That's beautiful. Um, I want to talk more about spirituality and meditation, but let's take a quick break. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? 
Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, we are here with Dina Merriam talking about her latest book, To Dance with Daikinis in Search of Self. So in your work, besides this underlying theme of the goddess, there's often this underlying spiritual practice that's going on. There's meditation and spiritual learning. What was it like in the past and how can we as modern people lean into our spiritual practices to support us? I think we're much more fortunate now than than the past, looking back, the past many centuries, even millennia, because spiritual practices are so widely available. Until recently, you had to really search for someone who could give you practices. And often you had to leave your home, leave your situation, go and search in the mountains to find somebody who could give you initiation. And that's no longer true, thankfully. You can be a householder, have a family, have an important job in society, and still gain all the higher techniques. You can go as far as you want in your spiritual practice. It just depends on how much time and commitment you make. You know, if you meditate sporadically, you know, just, you know, once a week, then you'll get that much in return. But if you meditate daily and and go give yourself enough time to really still the mind, you'll benefit that much from what you do. And then if you meditate for longer periods of time on occasion, you'll, 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 you'll get the benefit of that. So I think that we should realize how fortunate we are that there's so many practices. One of the problems though, is people deciding on which practice and sticking with it because, you know, you try this one and then, Oh, well that doesn't work after a few weeks. You try another one. Oh, well that didn't, you know, what there has to be a long-term commitment. It's not a quick fix. Right. I mean, you can't say that in a few months you're going to achieve what you're seeking for. <laughs> right. It's a lifetime commitment. And mm-hmm. I think the problem today is that often people don't make, find a path and then stick with it. And it's a lifetime commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the real spiritual gr- growth happens when we're in that resistance, when you don't want to sit on the mat or you don't want to get in on the yoga mat and you do it anyway. Like, you know, that our ego gets so squirrely and squirms around. It doesn't want to do all that introspection and inner looking and 
feeling the feelings and noticing our thought patterns, it's uncomfortable. So, you know, we get distracted and scroll around a little bit that way. But I do think there is some kind of spiritual maturity that we get if we find a practice and stick to it. I think, you know, the mind is very tricky. The mind will think of a million things to do, you know, and, and convince you that they're important to do right now. So you go to sit and it's, oh, you know, but I've got to make my lunch for later and I've got to do this and that. I mean, I, I still go through that after 50 years of meditation, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Me too. It, but if you if you get up and give in, then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to regret it. <laughs> mm. So the regularity to me is the most important thing. I mean, even if you can't do a full sitting, just the fact that you go to the mat right. every day and, and you just show up. It's a matter of showing up. Yeah, I, th- I agree. And and I love how you wove in into this book sort of these three different lifetimes, one in Tibet, one in China, and one in India, and the, how they kind of come together and this the cultural and spiritual practices of those places sort of interweave in, in the into part of the story in a beautiful way. So there are two other very important uh, messages that or learnings that came to me and that come to me every time I have a new book. And one of them is the encounter with what we call death. Hmm. It certainly erased the fear of death uh, because some of my books, not all of them, we count the in-between state, between births, and which is our home, that or this. We come down for, what, 70 years. We go back into that state, which could be a short time or a long time. There's no rule about it, and it depends on you're born into the conditions when the conditions are right. But sometimes the stay there could be long and sometimes it's short. And there are many beautiful beings in that world and, you know, loved ones from earlier lives. So, uh, and you come awake. It's like you recognize, no matter what guys they're wearing, you recognize people. And I think that's a really important thing because there's so much fear of death uh, and there's so much uh, grieving around it. It's natural because we get attached to people and things. So it's, it's natural, but at the same time, keep the perspective that um, you're just moving into another dimension of reality, a dimension that's hopefully more beautiful. Of course, the many, many, that universe is, big, is very big, so there's no one place to go. <laughs> and the other teaching that has come to me again and again, it seems like in every book, there's a great one who's, who's re- reminding me of this again and again, is the fact that the fabric of this creation is love. And that at the end of the day, it's all about love. And so, you know, we do our spiritual practice. And as we do, we experience a greater degree of love, you know, love, not just, I mean, a a non-exclusive love. So a love that is just a state of being. Uh, And that's our goal is to become love not just to feel love for this or that, but to be in that state of love. And I think the great ones, that's the state of consciousness that that they're in, in a state of love, just exuding love from every pore of their being, really. That's such a beautiful reminder. And I think it does sort of help us soften the blow, you know, this, this illusion of separation that we have as humans when we die or when somebody else dies. I want to go back to something that you said in the beginning about writing a book about your future. I'm so intrigued by that. Can you say a little more about what that's like and what's going on with that? Well, you know, increasingly, I've I've written a lot about the past, and I think I have one more life 
one more book to write about, about the past. But my focus has been the future. I, I work a lot with young people in their 30s. And I talk to them about now is the time to create the vision. What, what world do you want to create? What are the elements of that world? I mean, if we don't create, we are, the, we are creating it. And why are we going to leave it to others to create it? So I started to project myself. I mean, I see my next birth and the one after that because I can see karma that's not been finished. And I can see ways that that, that can all be resolved. And I see aspirations um, that I've not been able to realize. And so, for example, my writing now, which came to me sort of later in life, I did a lot of activist work before I started writing. The seeds for that were set in, 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 from in the book, When the Bright Moon Rises in Tang China, when I was a poet, but never was able to really develop myself. You know, I just wrote poetry to myself and showed it to a few people, family. Uh, and that, that desire to write did not find its fulfillment. Well, over a thousand years later, now I want to finish that. <laughs> you know, so I'm doing as much writing. It's my main focus right now. But I see other things that I'm not able to fulfill in this life. We can't fulfill everything in one life. Mm, right. And so I see my own project. And then there's the the, the uh, uh, law of probabilities. So I look, I'm trying to see collectively as a human community, where are we going? It's easier to see my own trajectory because I know what my aspirations are and my karma, but collectively. So it's a bit of an experiment. I'm working with it to see what we might be like as a human society in 200 years. It's so interesting. I love that. And and I wonder sometimes like if you kind of like look at things from like the soul's eye view or kind of from the quantum perspective, whether this is all happening simultaneously anyway. I mean, maybe you can find your yeah. future life because it's... It's actually happening concurrently. I'm living it. You're living As I it. Said, I'm living it. I'm living it. I, and it's the craziest experience. You know, I mm. found it when I was in the past, living my past life. But now I'm living the future life. And it is all concurrent. And what I see, most importantly, people are, are presenting dystopian views of the future. Mm. I see something different. It's not to say there are not going to be hard times and there are not going to be transitions and reformulations. But... The key is meditation. As more and more people engage in meditation, the vibrations of the planet will rise. And, and it could shift like that, the consciousness on the planet, which is why I stress so much the importance of a dedicated spiritual practice. You know, when we first began to meditate, it was for ourselves, for our own spiritual well-being. Now it's a matter of the whole. <laughs> right. We've got to lift the, the frequency of the planet. And each of us has a role to play in that. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, how do people find you, find your work, buy all your books? How, how can people discover you? Well, my books are on Amazon if you just search for books by Dina Miriam. And uh, I also have a Facebook page, Dina Miriam Writes, where I do book readings for mm -hmm. different occasions. And the books are in bookstores as well. They should be in the major bookstores. My work for the Global Peace Initiative, there's a, a website and a Facebook page. It's gpiw.org. And we organize, you know, like very soon there'll be a prayer, a whole series of prayers for the world situation. So if people want to be part of this, a larger collective, which is, is meditation and prayers, 
for different uh, crises that we're undergoing, they can follow it on the Facebook page and find out about it. It's beautiful. Yeah, this GPIW yeah. Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you are the founder of that organization, is that right? Yeah. And it's been running for quite some time. I mean, it's... Over 20 years. Yeah. Well, thank you for both aspects of your work, the writing work and the activism work. I'm going to sign up for that piece, meditation, because it's something that I really care about uh, myself. And I totally believe that if we all come together and meditate and hold that vision of peace, we can throw our light onto the equation and hopefully illuminate it, bring some light and some healing into that, the difficult things that are happening all across the world right now. So thank you so much for both of those things, Dina, and all the other work that you do. Take care. I'm so happy to have been with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thanks all of you guys for tuning in to this amazing conversation. Definitely check out Dina's books. They're so, so good. And I I have them. Um, And I just carry them with me when I'm traveling. They're great vacation reads and so inspiring for me. So thanks for tuning in. If you can find me, if you want to find me, you can find me on my website, lisacampion.com. My work is mostly about helping emerging psychics, healers, and empaths fully step into their gifts because I think the world needs all the healers it can get. And that's kind of what our show is about too, The Miracle of Healing. Thanks for being here where we are healing the planet one person at a time right here on Mind, Body, Spirit FM. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.